Ephesians 4, 32. This is the word of God. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Will you pray with me? Father, this is a hard one. I pray that you will help us grasp the gospel and then live the gospel to your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Christians are a forgiven people. That's good, right? And Christians are to be a forgiving people. So what do you think? Is this an easy concept or is it a hard one? Well, on the surface, forgiveness seems like it ought to be fairly easy for us to understand. But in truth, if we start thinking about real life, real hurts, real pain, the real imperfection of this world, forgiveness in practice becomes a little bit complicated. All of us have been or will be hurt by other people in this life. We are a sinful people after all. And sinful people are going to do us wrong. So understanding the concept of biblical forgiveness is crucial for you and me as Christians. Now, I think we know forgiveness is important. Nobody doubts that. But there are some questions that honest people will ask when they think about the topic of forgiveness. What does it mean for me to forgive this person in this situation? Or what if the person who wronged me is not sorry and will not take any responsibility for what he's done? Do I have to forgive them anyway? Or is forgiveness primarily about me, my mental health? Or is it more about my relationship with the person who did me wrong? What if I'm simply unwilling to forgive a repentant person? What does that say about my soul? If I forgive this person, does that mean that they will face no consequences for what they've done? Fact is, forgiveness is hard. Would you guys agree with that? It is sometimes hard to do. There are sometimes very complicated factors that have to inform when, how, and even if we forgive others. So this morning, I want us to take some time to think about this powerful issue. Now, contextually, we have reached the end of Ephesians chapter 4. And here we've seen that because of the glorious grace of Jesus, because we're saved, God wants us to live in a way that is worthy of the salvation that he's given us. And that means you and I are to do good to the church. And we are to preserve the unity of the church. And that means that we put off old sinful practices like lying, sinful anger, stealing, rotten speech, hateful hearts. And we replace those sinful practices with godly alternatives like telling the truth, resolving conflicts quickly, working and giving and speaking to build others up and developing kindness and compassion. And as part of a new God-honoring life that you and I are supposed to live, we are to become a forgiving people. Now this morning, I want to help you see what it means 
that God calls you to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. And unlike a lot of the sermons I would preach to you, there's not going to be a bunch of sermon points so much as a set of questions we're going to try to answer. Uh, This is kind of an unusual day because we don't do a lot of things that would almost feel topical, but this kind of has to if we're going to study this word well. So the questions we're going to answer today, Lord willing, is what does the word forgive mean? And how did God forgive us in Christ? And how then are we to forgive like Christ? Those are the questions we're going to see if we can answer. So let's get started. And we'll start with the first question. What does the word forgive mean? In Greek, there are two main words translated forgive. The word in this passage is charizomai. And it means to deal graciously with someone. Does the word charizomai give you any other words in your mind, by the way? Do you hear some other word that you know? Charisma, charismatic, even, right? Well, the Greek word charis means a grace or a kindness. So in our language, a person with charisma is a gifted person, a person who has received a unique kindness from God. And the idea in charisma is that you would deal with somebody graciously, gifting them with your kindness especially in a time when they don't deserve it. That makes sense, doesn't it? The other main Greek word is aphiemi, and it's a word that means to send away or to loose a thing. So in the concept of forgiveness, it gives you the picture of a person's sin or their guilt being untied from them and lifted away and put somewhere out of reach. It means that you let something go. It means that you leave something behind. Now, there are other words or pictures for forgiveness in the Bible, right? They give you the picture of releasing somebody from a debt or passing by something or passing over someone's failure or to cover their wrong. Let me read to you some verses of Scripture in Old Testament texts that give us pictures of forgiveness. And you can write these down. Don't turn to them right now. There's not enough time. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Eric read them for us this morning. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Or Psalm 103, 12. This is beautiful. says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You like that one? Or how about Isaiah 43, 25? I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Like that one? Or Micah 7, 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. All of those pictures are beautiful. When we think about God forgiving us, they are lovely. We want God to give us his grace and kindness, yes? We want God to loose us from or free us from our guilt, right? 
We want God to release us from the debt we owe him. We want God to cover over our sins, remember them against us no more. We like these pictures. But how does God actually forgive people? You see, this is a big deal, folks. Paul told us to forgive others. How? As the Lord forgave us. So knowing even Knowing exactly how this happened, it's vital. How did God forgive us in Christ? That's our second question. How did God forgive us in Christ? And I will tell you this. Answering this question correctly is significantly more important than you knowing those images and Greek words I just said to you. If you want to understand forgiveness, you must begin with an understanding of the gospel. So let me direct us to turn back now to Ephesians chapter 2. We spent a lot of time in Ephesians 4. I've surprised myself with how much time we spent in Ephesians 4 this year. God is good. But two chapters earlier, Paul showed us how we were forgiven in Christ. And Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 tells the tale of every person who has ever been forgiven in Christ. If you are a Christian, are you a Christian here this morning? If you're a Christian, this tells you who you were, what God did, how it was applied to you, and what you do now. That's Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. If you're not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this tells you where you presently stand before God and what you need in order to be forgiven by God to be saved. So let's remember our sinful state first. The Bible presents God to us as the one who is holy, 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 right? God is absolutely perfect. God is totally just. We owe God absolutely, unconditionally perfect obedience. That is the standard God commands us to live up to. Now, let me ask, how many of you thus far in your life have lived up to that perfection? I'm hearing several no's. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind." These three verses are the bad news in the good news story. We were dead in our sins. We lived in rebellion against God. We followed the ways of the world, of our own sinful flesh, and of the devil himself. We, by nature and by choice, made ourselves to be enemies of God, and we earned God's wrath for our rebellion. If you think about this from a criminal law sort of picture, we committed crimes against God. We violated his holy standard. We failed to live out the righteousness that his law requires. We are lawbreakers. 
How guilty were we? Listen to this from James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Did you hear that? Whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. So no matter how small you think your previous offenses before God are, your offense makes you a full lawbreaker. One crime, even the smallest, makes you guilty of going against God's perfection. And since God is infinitely perfect, your offense, your crime, is an infinite offense to God. You and I were guilty, and we deserved hell as the just penalty for our crime. You could illustrate it with financial pictures. We owe God a debt we could never repay. You don't have enough perfection in your pocket to hand back to God to make up for what you've done. This means, friends, left here, we are in deep, deep, deep trouble. Then verses 4 through 7 of Ephesians 2 say, But... God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Y'all, this is the good news. For all who are in Christ, we've been given grace. By the way, did you see that verse? I, I was talking to Jason uh, on the phone the other day and just talking about something that's rolling around in my mind a lot lately. God did this for us because of the great love with which he loved us. Don't, Christian, let yourself get so lost in the legal arguments that I'm making. And I think the legal stuff is really important. But don't let yourself get so sucked into that that you assume, well, God forgive, forgave me because he legally had to because I believed in Jesus. No, 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 no. The word of God says if you're forgiven, it's because God set his love on you. You, personally, God chose to love. And where were you before God chose to love you? Well, God chose to love you before the dawn of time. But before you came to faith, you were following the world, the flesh, and the devil. And God still said of you, Christian, who loves who knows Jesus now, God said of you, I want that one. Don't lose that, okay? God has given us grace. God made us alive when we were dead. God gave us a new standing before him. God, out of a desire to show how merciful he is, has given us forgiveness. Now theologically, we understand that a couple of things had to happen here. We needed the penalty of our crimes to be paid. The just penalty for our crime had to be paid. We needed the debt that we owed to God to be covered. 
And we needed God to grant us a perfection that you and I have never lived so that we can live in the presence of God forever. And all of this happens in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus died, and in his death, he suffered our penalty on our behalf as our substitute. Jesus died and covered our debt, a debt you and I could never repay. And Jesus gives us the righteousness we need so that we can be able to live in the presence of the Almighty forever. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says to us, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God himself paid the infinite cost of purchasing our pardon. God himself bore our sins. God himself paid to himself the debt we owe. God satisfied his own anger against us by means of a perfect sacrifice which he provided in the person and work of Jesus. God himself will grant to us his perfect righteousness as a gift. This is what it means to be forgiven by Jesus. Our forgiveness is the result of God's action and God's gracious, costly commitment. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You still with me? But how do we get it? How do we get that forgiveness? Because we know from Ephesians 2, 4, God, by his own will, made us alive together with Christ. In that, we know God's mighty sovereign power is is what's at work to bring about our forgiveness. But from our perspective, from the human perspective, from the earthly perspective, what is the experience of the one who is forgiven? How is it applied? Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we're saved first by what? Grace. We're saved by grace. We, as the criminals, as the one in God's debt, could take no action to bring about or earn our own salvation, right? Not a thing you could do. I don't care how many statues you build and bow down to, you're not going to please the Lord. The gift of salvation had to be offered to us by God. We are saved by grace. But we're saved not automatically. You know that's true, right? God did not say to us, you are a forgiven people, you just need to realize it. That's not God's message to the globe, is it? There is a requirement for all who are to be saved. While salvation is by God's grace and it is apart from works, it is a free gift. We receive that gift of salvation through what? Faith in Christ. And this part is really important for us to understand if you're going to understand forgiveness. God does not forgive you apart from your repentant faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the consistent teaching 
all the way through the gospel preaching of the New Testament. The command to repent and believe to be saved is given to all people, but only those who do repent and believe are saved. You guys agree with that? Only the repentant believer is saved. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, we have this message being preached. The time has been fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Acts chapter 17, verse 30, Paul speaking to the Philippian jailer, said, or, sorry, Paul speaking to the Areopagus, says, the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. In Acts 20, 21, again, we see that Paul's testifying, both to Jews and to Greeks, of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repentant faith is what is required for salvation. To be saved. To have God's forgiveness. If you want God to forgive you, if God did forgive you, it must come through repenting and believing. What does repent mean? Repent means you change how you think, how you feel, and how you act in a given situation. Regarding God, we repent when we recognize that we are sinners who are not the masters and rulers of our own lives. We repent when we sorrow over our sin and turn away from our sin. We repent when we stop relying on ourselves, when we stop thinking that we get to be in charge of our lives, and we surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To believe, to have the kind of faith that saves, is to fully entrust your soul to Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. The one who believes understands Jesus is our only hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave to bring about our salvation. We believe that no act we could ever perform would make us right before God. But we believe that Jesus has done all that is necessary to save our very souls. And so we entrust ourselves fully to him, relying fully on Christ for our forgiveness and our eternity. So faith and repentance. Again, one of the best ways to say this, you hear it said a lot, it's as if they are two sides of the same coin. There is one coin that is saving faith, and faith is on one side and repentance is on the other. That kind of works. When one genuinely believes in Jesus in a saving way, that belief is tied to turning away from sin and self and following Jesus. Think about, think about one's marriage vows, and maybe it'll help you understand this. A man and a woman, when they pledge themselves to each other, swear before God and witnesses a couple things, Right? They swear to forsake all others. So the man getting married turns away from all other romantic relationships with other women. Wives, that's true, right? That men men are to swear that? You're you're not going to be cool with him saying, I promise I will love you more than most of the women I love. You're not cool with that, right? The man turns away from every other, he forsakes every other romantic relationship with other women. The woman turns away from all other romantic relationships with other men. That's part of it. 
And the couple commits not just that they turn away from these romantic relationships with other people, but they commit to cling to each other and each other only so long as they both shall live. They turn away from one life, and the turning away from one life includes the embracing of the other. Those parallel repentance and faith. You turn away from sin and self-rule and you fully entrust your soul to Jesus in faith. Does that make some sense to you? We're saved by grace through faith. When we believe with a repentant heart, the Lord applies his forgiveness to our lives. Faith and repentance are prerequisite to our forgiveness. You understand that, right? Would you guys believe that somebody is forgiven by God who has not believed and repented? Okay, keep that in mind. Now, I believe in the case of God's forgiving us, the Lord grants us the faith and the ability to repent. Isn't that loving of him? This is a sovereign working of God who made us alive though we were dead in sins and transgressions. But with that said, we're the ones who believed. God gave you the gift of faith, but you believed, yes? God grants us faith. We bear responsibility for faith. And faith is required before forgiveness is transacted. Now, what is the result of our forgiveness? Because the penalty for our sin against God is removed. That's one result of being forgiven. You, there's a penalty you deserve for sinning against God. God lifts that penalty away from you and will not give it to you. Praise God for that. Yes? The penalty for your sin against God is removed. And you are able to enter into a new relationship with the Lord. That's also true. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are able to walk through life as God's workmanship, living on a new life, a changed life, because of God's grace. God has given us a new kind of relationship with him and with Christ. Isn't that true that when you came to faith, God gave you a new reconciled relationship with him? John 1, 12 and 13 says, but for all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. When we are forgiven, God adopts us into his family as his children. We go from being enemies of God, children of wrath, to being God's beloved little ones. Listen to the relationship reconciliation language that you hear from Paul uh, in 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to read 17 to 21 to us this time. But listen to how much reconcile is in this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So understand this, Christians. There is no such thing as being forgiven by God without there being reconciliation with and relationship with God. No person is forgiven by God from a legal sense who is not also reconciled to God in a relational sense. Sense. Forgiven people, forgiven people are also people in relationship, changed relationship with God. True? But we also need to remember this. We're almost done with this question. Not all earthly consequences of our sinful behavior are removed necessarily even when God removes from us the just penalty for our sin. Does that make sense to you? A man who goes out, gets drunk, drives and crashes his car into a family minivan has committed sin, right? And let's just say that in the accident, that accident costs the man his arm. Has to be amputated because of injury. Can that man be forgiven of his sin? Of course he can. Of course he can. But his forgiveness in this life is not going to regrow his arm. No matter how much the Lord says this man is forgiven, a child of God, when he repents and believes in Jesus Christ for salvation, he's not going to get a new arm until the return of Jesus and the resurrection of all believers. So we need to understand that even when God forgives us completely, not all earthly consequences are removed. You may say, why doesn't God remove all the earthly consequences of our sin? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's because God uses those consequences to teach us. Maybe God uses those consequences as tools for us to use to teach others. The psalm Eric read earlier this morning, the psalmist says, talks about being forgiven, how great it is to be forgiven. Then he, at the end of the psalm, he says, I'm going to teach you guys. Don't be like, an, you know, like, like, a, like a stubborn mule that won't listen. He's teaching from his point of a forgiven person who did face consequences for his failure. As a loving parent disciplines children, not for vengeance, but for the child's good, God allows many of the earthly consequences of our sin against him to stand. But God keeps his commitment to pardon us when he forgives us. He will never give the forgiven the true penalty for their sin. Because that penalty is hell. And Christ suffered the wrath of God already so that the forgiven would not have to suffer it ourselves. Okay, let's stop and breathe here for a moment. I want to say this. It's possible 
you're here this morning, you're hearing this, and you have not been forgiven by God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me, and along with me, all the believers in this room, let us urge you, repent and believe and be saved. That's the call. That's the command of God, friend. In Romans 6, 23, God says the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God offers forgiveness to everyone who comes to Jesus in faith. Forgiveness is a gift. It is, it's free. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. The way that you receive this gift is through faith and repentance. Believe in Jesus. Believe that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died to pay for your sins. Believe that Jesus rose from the grave. Believe that he is willing to forgive a sinner, even one like you, even one like me. And repent. Stop trying to be the boss of your own life. Stop living in ways that God forbids. Turn your life over to Jesus and surrender to him as your new Lord. All who repent and believe are forgiven. I urge you to be forgiven. Now, with all that said, what is this long discussion we're having about again? What's the point for this morning? We're trying to answer the question of how God forgives us so that we can forgive as we were forgiven. So, What does it mean that God forgives us? I'm going to give you a quote from a book that I really like. There's a guy by the name of Chris Brauns, B-R-A-U-N-S, who wrote a book called Unpacking Forgiveness. And it is my single favorite book on the topic of forgiveness. When I arrived here, we did it in Sunday school for about 13 weeks. He He defines forgiveness this way, quote, God's forgiveness, a commitment by the one true God to pardon graciously those who repent and believe so that they are reconciled to him, although this commitment does not eliminate all consequences. I want to read that again. God's forgiveness, colon, a commitment by the one true God to pardon graciously those who repent and believe so that they are reconciled to him, although this commitment does not eliminate all consequences. That's Chris Brown's Unpacking Forgiveness, page 51. Let me read you a little bit more from that book because it helps so much. He says, quote, God's forgiveness is gracious. He offers forgiveness freely. This is not because forgiveness is free in terms of cost. It is a very expensive gift that can be offered freely because motivated by love, God sent his one and only son to pay the price for it. It's good news, right? He says further, God's forgiveness is a commitment. When God forgives us, he makes a commitment that we are pardoned from our sin and that it is no longer counted against us. God's forgiveness is conditional. Only those who repent and have saving faith are forgiven. 
God's forgiveness lays the groundwork for and begins the process of reconciliation. When God forgives us, our relationship with him is restored. Not all consequences are immediately eliminated. God disciplines his children as a father disciplines his children. Proverbs 3.12. If you want to see more about how Chris Bruns deals with that issue, I really do recommend that you pick up the book, Unpacking Forgiveness. I think it's the best thing that's been written on the topic. I think it will help. So, we've seen what, it, what the word forgive means. You stayed awake through that part, right? Okay, we've seen how God forgives us. He forgives graciously. We can't earn it. God forgives based on his commitment to pardon and remove from us the penalty for our sin. God forgives conditionally. We must repent and believe to be saved, to be forgiven. God forgives and reconciles us to himself, but God's forgiveness does not take away all earthly consequences. Now let me remind you, the verse of scripture that kicked off this entire study was... Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Parallel, which was read um, in Sunday school, actually, Colossians 3.13 says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. So we've seen what it means that God forgives us. The question will come now, how do we forgive like that? What does that look like? So the third question, how then are we to forgive like Christ? So I want to take just a couple minutes here before we wrap up this morning. And I'm going to give you a very brief answer to the question. Lord willing, next week we'll return to this topic and I'm going to do my best to take us a little deeper into the interpersonal side of forgiveness. So if you want the answer to this question, if you really want to know how to deal with the natural objections that you might have to this kind of teaching on forgiveness, if you really want to consider some of the more difficult cases, you have to come back. I'm sorry, I wish I could do something else, but again, it's out of my hands. There's nothing I can do. So if, for example, you're visiting our church from out of town to go rock climbing, you just gotta come back. That's all I got. I got nothing else. I wish I could help you further. I mean, I know there's the internet, but it's not as good as being here. So let's see what we can do to start to answer the question of how we forgive like Christ. So again, in the book Unpacking Forgiveness, Bronze reshapes the forgiveness of God definition that we heard to apply it to how we forgive other people. God's forgiveness we heard. What does interpersonal forgiveness look like? It look like? And here's the, here's the quote, page 55. Forgiveness, a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person, although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. I'll do that one again for you too. Forgiveness, a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person, although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. If you can't copy all that, I'm sure it'll be on Facebook this week. So forgiveness begins with a commitment, right? 
How are you forgiven? You're forgiven because God chose to extend forgiveness to you, right? We also choose, we make a choice before God that we will be willing to extend the gift of forgiveness to other people who hurt us. Forgiveness is costly. Who paid the cost for your forgiveness before God? Yeah. Was it cheap? No. When you forgive me a sin against you, you choose to bear the burden of the loss in some sense, don't you? You choose to forego your right to get me back. You choose to forego your right to hurt me because I hurt you. That's what you do. You bear that cost. Forgiveness is gracious. God's forgiveness is a free gift that he offers to sinners. And we look like Jesus when we freely offer others pardon. Forgiveness is conditional. God forgives only those who repent and believe. Similarly, we offer forgiveness to all because of the grace of Christ. Because of the grace of Christ, we have a disposition of grace toward all who offend us. So if somebody, somebody offends you, you want to, before the Lord, develop a disposition where you desire to give that person grace. And we hold forth to all who offend us the gift of forgiveness, but the completion of the transaction of forgiveness is for those who are repentant. Now let me stop right here and tell you, I understand that that bit that I just said at the end, that's the thing that sounds countercultural to most Christians. Because I've heard many a preacher say to you, I don't care what that person says to you. I don't care what that person does. You just forgive them yourself regardless of whether they repent. The modern psychological depiction of forgiveness says that the response of the offending party is irrelevant to what you do because forgiveness is about you and your own mind. But neither of those is a biblical picture. Next week, we're going to talk about why. So if you're visiting from out of town, you seriously need to come back. (laughs) So let me read you a little bit more from Unpacking Forgiveness here. He says, quote, Christians are to forgive others as God forgave them. God's forgiveness is conditional. To be sure, God offers grace to all people, but he forgives only those who repent and believe. Likewise, Jesus said that Christians should forgive if the other party repents. Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. Listen to this. Pay attention to yourselves, Jesus says. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Forgiveness also leads to reconciliation. God saves us and makes us his very own family. When we forgive others, we will in general see a restoration of relationship as well. And before that last thing I just said freaks you out and throws you for a loop and you start posing all the hard questions about big time pain, forgiveness does not necessarily eliminate all the consequences of the person's sin. It is possible that you can forgive a person who shows repentance even while they go to jail. 
There is no requirement for you to allow a person who stole from you to have access to your wallet or give them your credit card number just because you forgave them. You can be reconciled. You can choose not to hate. You can choose to give as much kindness as you can possibly manage to give without you ever opening yourself to a person that they might hurt you again in exactly the same way they hurt you before. You can forego your personally perceived right to punish a person even while you allow the legal system or the discipline of the church to run its course. That's the stuff we need to unpack further in the times coming up. Forgiveness is a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person, although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. Sometimes, folks, it is simple. Sometimes it's complicated. Sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes the idea of reconciliation is not going to be completed until heaven. We want to let our forgiveness model the forgiveness we received in Christ to the best of our abilities, even though we know we're living in a fallen world. One last quote from Bronze. Here it is, he says. Christians are to forgive others as God forgave them. Graciously, willingly, and freely, they should offer a costly present to any who offend them. Those who do repent and unwrap the offered package will find forgiveness and reconciliation inside. Now, as I said, those points need greater exploration. And Lord willing, we're going to pick it up and look at it a little bit more deeply and answer some of the bigger, more more pesky questions next time. But for now, let's take a couple of things away with this message. First, Would you guys agree with this? Forgiveness is a beautiful thing. You glad you're forgiven? Yeah, you better be. If you're not forgiven by God in Christ, you need to be. I urge anybody who doesn't know Jesus to be forgiven. And if you are forgiven in Christ, this needs to motivate you to be ready to offer forgiveness to others And that attitude of forgiveness, the disposition of grace, the desire to be reconciled to people as reconciled as we can be, that is part of the putting off of our old ways and the putting on of the attributes of Jesus Christ that will help us walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together, friends.